This is Scott. This is Rebecca. And we're the CEOs of Hardy, Party of Five. And a half. It's not really a company, it just sounds cool. And if you're looking for a normal family, well, you've certainly come to the wrong place. So keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and let's see where this roller coaster takes us. Okay, Scott. I had a client. Yes, Rebecca. I had a client come into my chair, oh, maybe a week or two ago. Young girl, teenage. She is babysitting age. For people that don't know, you're a hairstylist. I'm a hairstylist. She sat down in my chair and we began to talk and I asked her, what are you doing this weekend? She said, oh, I have to babysit these kids. Uh, she gave me their ages, young kids, all boys, four boys, I think it was. How old is your client? Oh, mm, 17. Okay, yeah. so teenager. 17, 18, yeah. Okay. And I said, oh, you know, just knowing she was going to have a busy night ahead of her, I said, oh, I bet they give you a run for your money. Yeah. And her reply was, well, they pay me $24 an hour. <laughs> okay. So see, Not quite understanding what you right, meant. She, her mother started laughing, and I started laughing, and uh, but the girl just looked perplexed, like she had no idea what we were talking about. So it really led me to think, there's probably a ton of figures of speech, and where did that come from anyways? Yeah. And I always think it's interesting where like a phrase comes from, where we get it from. Well, it's kind of interesting that each generation kind of has their own thing. Yeah. Like now, our kids say no cap a lot. Which means, which basically means you're lying. You're lying. Or I'm not buying what you're selling. Is yeah. what we would say. Right. I, like from I our never. Generation. When they say that, it never fits in a sentence. I wonder if our parents thought about that when we said stupid stuff when we were young. Too. Yeah. What are what's some stupid stuff we would say? I don't know. Gag me with a spoon. Yeah. Tubular. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I didn't really say gag me with a spoon, but there were people that I guess far out. That. No, that was probably sixties. Yeah, okay. that wasn't us. So, anyways, I came up with this list, and in true hearty fashion, I'm terrible at research, and Scott is fabulous at research. So, I said, here's a list. You bequeathed them to me I to did. find out the origins you're so of some of these phrases. You're so good at these things. I mean, you're like a master um, investigator. Googler. Googler. <laughs> Googler. Yes, you're a master Googler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Put that on a resume. Master Googler, Scott Hardy. And so, I gave you this list of like 20 or something like that figures of speech for you to figure out and tell me where they are. So I will be so learning today. So they're figures today. of speech that we're going to figure out. They're, that's right. Oh. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. What Do you hear that ticking? I do hear that ticking. What is it? What did you do? What have I done? Yes. Well, I figured since... Figured? <laughs> this, this we is, use this word a lot. We don't even know it. This is great comedy, isn't it? <laughs> um, I thought since we have so many to go over that we needed some... We needed a little extra to get through all of these yeah. in a certain amount of time. To light a little fire. Yes. So okay. we're gonna give each we're gonna give ourselves thirty minutes to get through these. Okay. Like kind of like Jack Bauer, because okay. it sounds just like twenty four. I wanted to give us some urgency. Yeah. Like we've got to get this done, or I people are gonna 24. die. I missed twenty four. I missed twenty four. I did too. And that new one that came out wasn't no. very good. No. Yeah. Yeah. They tried to pass it on to another guy. Yeah. Didn't work. So. All right. So you're ready? Because speaking of twenty four, the very first one. Okay. Could potentially remind me of 24, maybe. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Yes. Die Hard. Die Hard. Well, I just think of the movie with Bruce Willis. Where did well, it yeah, come from? Yeah, that's where it came from. Oh. It, this was a phrase that was first coined in the 1988 New York uh, movie called Die Hard. Oh. Which had, of course, Bruce Willis in it. He was visiting his estranged wife, 
who was played by Bonnie Bedelia, which is also in your one of your favorite shows, Parenthood. Yes. She's the grandma or something, uh-huh, right? Yeah. And the two, he visits her and the two daughters on Christmas Eve. He joins her at the holiday party at the headquarters of a Japanese-owned business she worked for. high rise. Yep. But, of course, the festivities are interrupted by a group of terrorists. Of course. Um, They take over the high rise and everyone in it. Soon, McLean realizes he's the only one that can save all the hostages. Of course. Okay, and just, his wife Peter shirt. Okay, I'm just kidding. That's not really the origin of the that's not really the origin of the phrase. Oh, it's not? No, it's not. Oh my gosh, you had me going. Why do you do this to me? I was like, I just, why is this even a thing? No. No, oh, I just thought that was. Oh my word. It's, okay. It's actually okay, we're gonna find out. There's a few of these that you gave me that are very macabre, like very horror movie Okay. Horror stuff. Is because, this one of them? Oh yeah. It talks about it's really literally it ends up talking about people dying. Okay, what is it? I want to Okay, know. well, normally... The timer's going. I know, I'm trying. Okay. I shouldn't have joked now that the timer's going. I'm so <laughs> nervous now. Where's Jack Bauer when you need him? Um, or John McClane at that... Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Die Hard. It's typically someone um, who has dedication to something. Like, you're a Die Hard Cubs fan. For years, they never won, so you were Die Hard. You're a Die Hard Ranger fan, like right. we are. Okay. They never win, but you're still a fan. Um... The first time it was probably used was the 1700s, but it didn't. It wasn't talking like about being a diehard fan or something. It was talking about. It was an expression that described commend, commend, condemned men mm-hmm. who were struggling the longest when they were executed by hanging. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it later became popular. Uh, during the Ew. Napoleonic Wars, in the midst of the fight, a wounded British officer Wait, named... what is a huh? Napoleonic War? Well, Napoleon back... Okay, this is weird. I was I was listening to another podcast. We're never going to be done in 30 minutes. <laughs> we just, we'll set the timer to an hour and a half. Okay. <laughs> so, I was listening to another podcast, which is really good. It's Based on a True Story is the name of the podcast. Okay. And it talks about, like, in movies or plays, the guys finding out what the real origins of the story were. Or, like, he did Les Miserables, and he was talking about, okay, here's the novel. Does the no- Where did the inspiration from the novel come from, and did that really make it into the movie or the play or yeah. the musical? So in that, they were talking about Les Miserables, and it was talking about, I learned a lot about Napoleon, like how he came into power, and it was just the wars, basically. He took over in France when they got rid of the king. They got rid of the royal family, he took over, like he was a general that just took over, okay. and then he wanted to take, start taking over the world, taking over Europe. So Napoleonic Wars are about him trying to take over other countries around France. Okay. So, anyways. All right. Thank you for the side note. Um. See how smart you are. You didn't have to Google search that. I know. I just listened to another podcast. All right. Um. In the midst of the fight in the Napoleonic Wars, uh, there was a British officer who urged his unit. By saying, stand your ground and die hard. Make the enemy pay dear for each of us. So that's another way it was used. Hmm. Um, They suffered 75% casualties, and they ended up earning the nickname Die Hards. And that was in a battle in 1811. Hmm. So it was in the 1700s. It was talking about the criminal that took the longest to die by hanging. And then in the Napoleonic Wars in 1800s, it became these guys that fought so hard against Napoleon. Okay. 
So that's your first one. Okay, next. I okay. like that. I mean, yes. it was gross, but I liked it. Yeah. Okay, a run for your money. Okay, a run for your money. That's basically what you were saying. They were going to challenge you. That's usually how we use it now. Okay. Like something's going to challenge you. Yeah. Um, it actually, this one's kind of self-explanatory. It originated in horse racing around 1839. Oh. So basically... In what it, year? 1839. Oh, okay. So basically it was like... Uh, to have a successful race from a horse one had put their money on. Mm -hmm. So basically that's what it was. Around 1874, the term gained like more extended use. And it started to mean value or satisfaction in return for something you, that you, huh. like you invested. Okay. Like it went beyond horse racing into like how we use it now. All right. Like more of a challenge or you're getting something for what you're, okay. what you're putting in. All right. So there you go. Okay. That was a good one. That was You're a quick doing one. So good. I, I've rebounded from the whole diehard thing. We'll make it. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Okay. Time flies. Okay, time flies. I'm gonna butcher the Latin language right now because I am very, it. I am very Uno. What, what do you say? Like you say, you're bilingual. I am unolingual. You're singulingualer. <laughs> Singulingualer. <laughs> That's another phrase I have to look up. Um, time flies is a Latin phrase. Tempus fugit. I don't okay. know. Sounds like Ted Nugent. It sounds, I don't know. yeah, okay. I'm going to use that in my mm -hmm. poem. Um, it's translated into English as Time Flies. It comes from an ancient book written in 29 B.C. where it appears as this. It, this would be in Latin, but they've given me the English translation. Thank goodness. It escapes irretrievable time, and that's kind of where it came from. Time flies. The phrase is used in both its Latin and English forms, which means time's a wasting. Time's a wasting. So it was in a book by Virgil in 29 BC is when it first. So this is wow. way back. This one started way this back. This is in the way back machine. Yep. Okay. Okay. That's a long time ago. Got it. Okay. Are you ready? I got it. I'm ready. Ace up your sleeve. Ace up your sleeve. This is obviously, it's an expression that's been used since the early 1900s. And we think of it as like you've got you've got an advantage or a resource that other people don't have a secret advantage. Mm -hmm. Like when you're playing cards mm -hmm. and you've got it up your sleeve, mm -hmm. um, or playing Survivor, secret advantage. The like oh idol. yeah, secret yeah. advisor, uh, secret secret. <laughs> <laughs> secret advisor. Why am I talking like Elmer Fudd? I don't know. A secret advantage, like what was the island called now yeah, on Survivor? Island of I don't remember. Misfit Toys. No, no that's different. That's different. Uh, I can't what's remember. What's it called? I don't know. Oh well, we watch it all the time. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll table that. We'll get there later. Yeah. The word ace used for playing cards came from an old French word, uh, which meant a single unit or currency. Uh, this was originally used as the name of a dice marked with one spot on them. And later is a card marked with one spot. So that's kind of how the ace, the ace of spades developed. The Middle English word uh, gave way to the modern word ace. Um, it's applied to the highest card, which is also associated with excellence. So you've got to ace up your sleeves. means you have an advantage. You're, you, you're on your way to excellence. Okay. Um, and later, uh, fighter pilots who got shot down... Uh, during like the World War One, when we started using planes, and then World War Two, they were called aces. Like that flew the planes, they were called aces because they, if you shot down so many enemy planes and all that, yeah, like the Red Baron in World War One was like uh -huh. the first flying ace. 
because he shot down so many Germans during World War One. So mm-hmm. if you became a great fighter pilot, you would be called an ace. Ah, oh, gotcha. So that's it, later in the years, that's how it was used. Okay. Is it called Island of Extinction? Island of Extinction, very yes. good. Okay. Yes. I'm glad we figured all that out. That's bonus. That's right. That's a little bonus for y'all. A little bonus. Remember, we gave you a little extra. <laughs> we had an ace up our sleeve. We had an ace up our And we played it for you. Right. For our fans. There's a country song that says that. For a fan, huh? It says, you've got to have an ace in the hole. It's a country song. Well, yeah, that's also another phrase that it's used with. And who sings this song? I don't know. You know when you sing a song, I'm I've got to know who I've gotta know who, if I, I totally have to know who it is. Who I'm going to I'm going to guess, but I okay. don't I'm going to say George Strait. Uh I'm trying to think I, of country I singers like I know. That's what I would have guessed. Toby Keith. No. Um, I totally would have guessed George Strait. Uh Conway Twitty cuz I like saying his name. I don't think it's it's totally George Strait. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Boom! Yep, I know job. my George Strait. The king of oh, really? country or whatever. Is that mm-hmm. what he's called? The king of comebacks and final, 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 final. <laughs> this is my final show. No, really it is. We're never going to finish. Oh, okay. We're moving on. Spill the beans. <laughs> spill, spill the beans. Spill I'm trying beans. to spill the beans. I'm trying to tell spill you. Spill the beans. Okay. Of course, we think of it as revealing a secret, right? Um, now the cool kids say, what's the tea? What's the tea? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So spill the beans. No What's cap. the tea? Um, <laughs> this phrase was originated in ancient Greece. Okay. So we're way back again. Uh, where people cast secret votes by putting in white or black beans in a jar. Oh. A white, in, a white bean indicated a positive vote, and a black bean was basically saying no or negative based on what the vote was for. So if someone accidentally or deliberately, like if they saw that they were losing, they would knock over the jar and spill the beans. So, what? Um, so that's where fellas. that's right. The beans would pour out, and the secret would be revealed early. So they would have, they would say they spilled the beans. Like if they saw people putting in and felt like they were getting behind, then they wanted to see huh. what the boat was. Yeah. So that was from ancient Greece. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, I like that one. Yep. All right, next. Okay, what is it? Cat got your tongue. Cat got your tongue. Now, this is another creepy one. And with the word cat in it, you would obviously think it's creepy because cats are creepy. No offense to people, cat lovers out there. <laughs> just cat. I'm very much a dog person, not a cat person. Even though you think our young, our oldest our dog Our Yorkie here is a cat in a dog's dogs, body. Yes. I have no doubt about that. But that's okay. I think Yorkies in general. Okay. And for just us. I offended half of our listening audience. <laughs> namely me. Um, <laughs> you like cats? No, calling my dog a cat. Oh, calling your dog a cat. A dog in a cat body. Okay. Um, So for us, it's like you're at a loss of words. You can't think of what to say. Right. That's when we think cat got your tongue or you've been surprised and you don't want to say anything. So, um, again, this one's kind of creepy. The English Navy used to use a whip called cat of nine tails for flogging. The pain was so severe that it caused the victim to stay quiet for a long time. Um, another possible source, which goes back even further, is ancient Egypt. Okay, this one's really creepy. I am never using this phrase again. And this is why I don't Already. like cats. Okay. In ancient Egypt, liars and blasphemers' tongues were cut out and fed to the cats. Because, you know, Egyptians really were into their cats. Because you see it in all their hieroglyphics yeah. and stuff. What a treat for the cats to oh get, some, get some human tongue. That is disgusting, yes. and so, I'm never using this phrase again. 
I'm so I told you some of these are creepy, right? So creepy. Yeah. Ugh, are you ready for the next one? Okay, I think so. Kick the bucket. Kick the bucket, and obviously, what? I think I can guess. What? Wait, just tell me. No, you guess. You Is tell it the me. hanging and the they kicked like a bucket out from underneath their feet? Well, that it's it has to do with hanging, but not really hanging a person. Okay. Um, it was this was used for us. It's like dying, or you know, I kick the bucket and yeah. dying, and that's literally not really literally, but that has it has something to do with dying. Um, it was first used in 1570. Uh, a guy wrote a book. His name was Peter Levins. And it's a big Latin word title of the book that I'm not going to try to destroy. And he used it. Also, Shakespeare used the word in 1597. He said, swifter than he that gibbets on the brewer's bucket. Okay. <laughs> a gibbets? A gibbet means to hang. <laughs> Oh. So it wasn't hanging people, though. It was a wooden frame that was used to hang animals up by their feet for slaughter. Ew. And they called it a bucket. Like the frame that they hung on was called a bucket. Okay. So what would happen is they were struggling and spasming after their death, and they would, like, kick the bucket. They would kick the post mm -hmm. as they died, oh. as the animals died. Yeah. So it means dying, but now we would kind of, we would usually... Talk about a person dying, like right. he kicked the bucket. But this was really about slaughtering animals, and they were hanging, okay. and it was about how they spasmed, and yeah. they would kick the bucket, which was the frame. That's so gross. So, yeah. Okay, is this okay? The next one. I hope it's happier. I need <laughs> okay. a happy. I need a happy moment. Okay. Born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Okay, and this is not about Ricky Schroeder. Okay. Which was all? Is it about death? Um, it's not really about death. Okay, good. I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, and of course now we think of it as someone's born with privilege or is born rich, has a rich family. Yeah. Um, this was commonly thought to be an English phrase and refers to British aristocracy. Um, it was also used in the USA in 1801. And it was, it was, they said it was a common proverb that few lawyers were born with silver spoons in their mouth. Um, so medieval, I can talk. I'm so nervous. I'm trying to get this done. Um, medieval spoons were like made of wood, like the 1500s. Okay. So spoon was also the name of a chip or splinter of wood. And it's like, and it's likely that, that is how the table utensils derive their name. So like they called the splinters of wood spoons. And then eventually as they made spoons with the wood, they just called them spoons. So that's what you would use to eat. Um, now, wealth, wealthy godparents would give silver spoons to their godchildren at christening ceremonies. Um, mm, that makes sense. So it was basically, that's how it became you were born with a silver spoon, because okay. the rich people would have the silver, they would have their utensils made of silver, and okay. the poor people would have wooden spoons. This is pretty straightforward. So yeah, it's pretty basically what you would think it would be. Yeah. So. Okay. That one wasn't terrible. No, it was, that one's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. All right, next. Wear your heart on your sleeve. Wear your heart on your sleeve. You're afraid this one's going to get gross, aren't you? I don't know. It no. sounds... It's not really gross. Very Edgar Allan Poe-ish. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> so now we would think, like, you ha you're, you wear your emotions. Like, right. you're very emotional and, like, yeah. 
very reactive to what people say to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was Shakespeare again, Othello, 1604, mm-hmm. back in the day. Back in the Do you day. remember Othello when no. he wrote that? Mm-hmm. Um, in the play, the treacherous Iago, his plan was to, he was faking to be open and vulnerable. He was trying to appear faithful. So, okay, I'm going to try, are you ready for my Shakespeare? Oh, Okay, yes. I'm going to try to read the Shakespeare. Absolutely. It is sure as you are, Rodrigo. This is so sexy. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Were I the more, I would not be Iago. What? In following him, I follow but myself. Heaven is my judge, not I for love and duty. He said duty. But seeming so for my peculiar end. For when my outward action doth demonstrate the native act and figure of my heart, in compliment extern, tis not long after. But I will wear my heart upon my sleeve. For dolls to peck at, <laughs> I am not what I am. Was that good? That was... It's beautiful, right? Adorable. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> so that was the first time it was used. It was it's better the, than your Latin or whatever you tried to do. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really expanding my vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. So it was basically this character in Shakespeare in Othello who was pretend was like showing all these emotions, but he was really doing it to deceive people. Oh. So that's the first time this phrase was used. Thank you, Shakespeare, William. Hmm, His friends you. called him Bill. <laughs> no, they didn't. Did they? Huh? They didn't. Why really? not? They I called him know. Billy. Billy I don't Shakespeare. Know. For our next podcast, can you find out when William decided to be sh- like shortened to Bill? That's oh. later. Okay, you're gonna okay. have to remind me of that one. I'm ready. Hit the nail on the head. Hit the nail on the head. We basically think of this like you've done some exactly right, like you've got the right answer, or you right. performed the task hit perfectly. The nail on the head. Now, no Just one, like your Shakespeare, like hit the nail on the Yeah, head. I really did, didn't I? I like that. You did. Bam. Bam. Perfect. Yeah, killed it. Mm-hmm. You did. You killed yes. it. Yes. Um, no one really knows where the exact origin of this. What is known is that it's extremely old. There's a book called The Book of Ma- Marjorie Kemp from 1438. What? I don't even remember this book. Um, <laughs> it was an account of the life of a religious visionary. And it's considered to be the earliest, earliest surviving autobiography written in English. Wow. From 1438. Now, this, it's old English. I'm not even going to try to say this, but it's got a translation of it that reads like this. Praise God. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, the first, the first word says YYF. I don't even know how to pronounce that. <laughs> like the old English, you know what I mean? I would have no idea. Why? Why? Yeah, it just looks like a bunch of typos. See, it looks like a bunch of typos. Oh, my goodness. So I'm not even going to try. It's Old English, 1438. Okay. It says, If I hear any more of these matters repeated, I shall so smite the nail on the head that it shall shame all her supporters. okay. Smite. Smite. That's a good, like, Old Testament word, smite. (laughs) So there you go. All right. Uh, It isn't really clear what they were talking about. Like, how did they come up with this phrase for the book? But you can tell that um, in this one, they're really saying, hit the nail on the head as speak severely. Like, I'm going to really tear into you. Um, That's what it sounded like you were portraying there. Right. Because I was was so in character. Right. You were. Yep. (laughs) It also appeared, the next time it really appeared was in a 
book by William Cunningham in 1559. Hmm. So you can see how over the years it was used. So okay. That's like the next time they Cunningham really saw it again. from Happy Days? Was it on Happy Days? Cunningham, not Cunningham. Oh, shoot. <laughs> hey! hey. <laughs> see, there's a reference that our teenagers are like, what are they talking what about? What does that mean? Yeah. Okay, are you ready? I think so. You sure you don't have cold feet? <laughs> So wow, <laughs> yes, you're good. Um, obviously, that's to be fearful or like you think of it like a groom that's getting married, gets cold feet, gets out of there, leaves the wedding, or the bride can. Like yeah. you're afraid to do something. Um, not really sure how it was coined. Um, the first time we really see it is in 1896, Stephen Crane novel. He was kind of a famous guy back then. Uh, in his novel, Maggie, A Girl of the Streets, in 1896, the phrase was, I knew this was the way it would be. They got cold feet. So that's the first time we ever saw it. And it was... Wow. I know. Has nothing to do with death. Nope. It just... Nobody nobody really knows where it came from. Okay. And Stephen Crane was really the first one to so coin when it. So he, when he wrote that, you just had to, like, figure out what it meant. And that's yeah, the first Yeah, it's just time. like... Figure out what it... See, figure... I figured you'd be pretty funny. Uh huh. Um, this brings me to a point. Like you see that, like Shakespeare made up words. He made up the phrases. Stephen Crane, obviously, maybe it's something he heard, or maybe he just thought it up. Like a lot of times, it's just an author thinking up stuff. Yeah. I feel like I invented a phrase. Tell me about it. I invented a phrase in junior high school. This would have been 1985-ish. Was it jive turkey? It was not jive turkey. That was way before me. <laughs> okay. That was in the 60s, I think. Probably 50s. Um, I feel like I invented the phrase same difference because I started using that with my friends. Like when they would, it's like comparing two things that are similar Yeah. or, you know, they're closely associated. So I would say it's the same difference. Yeah. And I feel like I was the only one using that phrase. And then later on I would hear it more often. Hmm. So I'm going to claim that I really have no proof, but I don't feel like I had heard it anywhere before. Yeah. So I'm claiming that. I know there's something that you feel like you invented. There's a dance move that well, you've always I, said. There's just, I mean, no doubt about it, <laughs> that I, in my bedroom, did the snake in the mirror Yeah. before Paula Abdul ever did it. And this would have been probably mid-80s, early yeah, 80s? Yeah, probably 84. Yeah. So you're claiming... Whatever year she did it, I did it the year before. You did it before. So if you You've never seen it before. I had never seen it before. Can you describe what the snake is? Well, it's kind of you roll your body from your head all the way down. It looks like a snake. It looks Can you like... do it real quick? Is it the one that goes side to side? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, yeah, and you go one side, the other side. You can go back if you want to, but basically, I did it before Paula, so So that. we should basically get a lawsuit together. Basically. Yeah, and see if we can't get some money out of this. Right. I don't know where I go for same difference. I know there's nobody really. I don't but know. you've heard that phrase now, right? I have, yeah. But I feel like 1985, bam, that, that was, was me. Yep. Okay. We were inventing things like around the same time. I know. I mean, worlds apart. I yeah. was in Georgia. You were in Texas, but still on the same path. It was just a matter Which of time. Which is why. It was just a matter of time that we'd be together at this moment. It was a matter of time before we tied the knot. That's our next. Oh, that's tied the knot. Very good. And obviously, that for. Modern purposes, that means get married. Get married. Um, now, they talk about this could be, like, in beds uh, prior to, like, metal sprung bed frames like we have now. The theory goes that in order to make a marriage bed, you needed to tie the knot. 
So uh, there's really not a lot of evidence for this, um, but you would tie the knot within the bed to make the bed. Like to make two beds one bed? Or no, just like the underneath of it, to support it, you would tie knots to support the bed. Like you'd probably have feathers or whatever would be your mattress. And that's supposed to hold me. (laughs) Well, yeah. A knot. Well, like if you tie a bunch of them under it, like now. Is the knot made out of metal? Well, no, no, they didn't. Copper? (laughs) No, it was was probably made of cloth. Okay, that's But you think of it now where we have a a lot of wooden slates, and in Mm -hmm. some places we have metal slates under Mm -hmm. our beds, under our mattresses, and what do you call that thing under it? Like box spring. Box spring. So you would have a bunch of these... Slats, I think, is the word you're looking for. What did I say? Slates. Uh, same thing. Same difference. Same difference. Um, <laughs> so you would have the, you would have so many under there that you would tie together. Like, it would be like like tying together, like, your shoes. Like, it would tighten yeah. Yeah, as, no you, as you tied more like of them, it would tighten. Yeah, kind of like a corset for the bed. Okay. So that's kind of where they think it came from. And, off, and then... I mean, it's also used in weddings, like um, a lot of different religions and stuff. We use the hands together with the with a what do you call that? A scarf or a ribbon over it? Yeah. To symbolize the tying of the knot or yeah. coming together. Hmm. Um, okay. The legend is that in the 13th century, there's something called the Legend of Saint Catherine, 1225. Wow. A long time ago was the first time that someone had used that to had used tie the knot to mean tie or bond of wedlock, the marriage or wedding knot. So that would be the first time it was used in the 1200s. Okay, that's a long time ago. Yep. All right. Okay, well, uh, this is the next one. Are you ready? I'm so ready. A piece of cake. A piece of cake. This one's pretty straightforward because we think it, we think of it, huh? Piece of cake. We think of it as something easy. Like, that's a piece of cake. We're going to take care of that. Um, This one is American origin. It's from Ogden Nash's. uh, He was a poet and humorist in, like, the 1920s and 30s. In his, uh, in the thing he wrote, Primrose Path, in his poems in 1936, he said, her picture's in the papers now, and life's a piece of cake. So just, like, a joyful, easy thing. Well, yeah, and, like, her picture's in the papers. I think joy when I think cake. Her, her her picture's in the paper, so now she's famous, implying that she's rich, and everything's Easy Street now. Okay. I just used another one, Easy Street. Should have looked that one up. But <laughs> I feel like Easy Street sounds like something in the 20s, like flappers and right. all that. You're going to live on Easy Street now, kid. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, see? Let's move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I turned into my 20s sports reporter guy. <laughs> Okay, in a nutshell. Well, here it is in a nutshell, see? <laughs> Concisely stated, that's what it is. Just use a few words, champ. Oh, okay, stop. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> in a nutshell, it's basically using a few words to describe something. Like, oh. Like I'm going to... I didn't, I wouldn't, I didn't think of it Like that you way. think of, what's one of the biggest books you can think of? War and Peace. Like, I'm going to give you one sentence in a nutshell about War and Peace. You know this. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> it's like taking something really big and bringing it down to something Like the small. cliff notes I used to buy to get to oh, pass Oh, yeah. Do they classes? even make those anymore? Or you just can Google it what now. What were they called? Cliff notes. Is that what they were really called? Yeah. They were yellow with the... Yeah, yeah. Well, the I black know. and yellow. Yeah, oh, so yeah, I didn't you have know. to read that whole book. <laughs> Or just cheat off of someone that knew better than me. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a different podcast. <laughs> We're going to talk about if that's right or not. Okay. And how you overcame that later in your life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
it's fairly easy to do. Anything that could be written in few words, it would fit in a nutshell. <laughs> that meaning it would be brief and to the point. Now, the first text that was supposed to be enclosed in a nutshell was far from small. It was uh, Pliny the Elder, and he was a historian way That's back a, in the his day. His name? Pliny. Yes, Pliny. Okay. Um, written Dang, in, we missed out on naming one of our kids that? <laughs> yes. Pliny Hardy. Pliny the Elder. Pliny Hardy. <laughs> Hey, there's still a chance we can adopt. <laughs> um, it was in his, the thing he wrote called The Natural History in 77 AD. Okay. So this was a long time ago. Um, and basically what he says in this is that, you remember Homer's Iliad? Yeah. Like, did you read that in high school? I, we've already you used the cliff notes <laughs> right. for Iliad. Remember the cliff notes you read of Iliad? Heck no. <laughs> okay. So Iliad is this giant like story, like an epic story. Okay. And what they're saying is he's saying in this, uh, in this natural history that he wrote that someone had written Homer's Iliad so small that they could fold it up and they put it in a nutshell. And he makes mention of that in his book that someone had written the Iliad and it fit in a nutshell. So okay. that's where it came from. Long time ago, somebody wrote it so small, they folded it all up, fit in a nutshell. Why would you decide a nutshell? Why not put it in, I don't know, I don't know a shoe? Or it was a challenge, just a like jar, trying to get through bottle. all these phrases. It, they said, we're going to challenge ourselves to do this. Well, you <laughs> see people now like drawing rice and have these paintings sure. on rice. So. They sell those. Okay, are you ready? I think so. Don't put your eggs. Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. So basically we look at that as like have more options than one thing, right? Yeah. But what? was this like a mom who basically said, don't put all the eggs in one basket for when you drop some of them. We still have others that have not been cracked. If I was a mom, I would say that. It has nothing to do with the mom. Shoot. But I mean, <laughs> that sounds good. It was actually used. This is the... This is considered the first n modern novel that was ever written called Don Quixote, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you heard of. The guy, he's the crazy old man that's going after the windmill. He thinks the windmill is I literally a heard this story the other day when you drew a picture of it. Yeah, I drew that. It was uh, so good. Yeah. But I uh, didn't know anything about it before then. There's been movies about it. There's been a couple of movies. Peter O'Toole's in one of the movies, um, which was a more of a musical, um, which is called The Man of La Macha. If you want to see it, I yeah. think it was late 60s, 65, 67. I think Sophia Loren's in it too. Okay. Um, anyways, <laughs> that was a novel written. It was written between 1610 and 1615. He wrote part one in 1610. He finished part two around 1615. Um, and this is, this is the phrase that he wrote. It is the part of a wise man to keep himself today for tomorrow and not venture all his eggs in one basket. So okay. there you go, 1615, Don Quixote. Don Quixote, all right, good news. Okay, here's the next one. Have a screw loose. Have a screw loose, and of course we think of that as being a little crazy, not having all your eggs in one basket, you know, <laughs> like in your mind. Um, this originates... A French fry short of a Happy Meal. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is interesting. It originates in the 1780s, and it has something to do with the textile industry. Um, this was like the start of the Industrial Revolution. So they had large factories that were equipped with the latest technology to make uh, clothing from cotton and all that. 
but it proved to be difficult to maintain all the machines at the same time. So any machine that stopped working or produced faulty cloth was deemed to have a screw loose somewhere. So they would go in and try to find where the screw was loose. Oh, interesting. In the equipment. Huh. So That's in the 1780s. Okay. okay. I like that one. All right, and the next one. Smell something fishy. Smell something fishy. This is what you think about when you go to our back room now. Oh. In our house. The locker room. Yes, we have a game room that has been turned into, since the quarantine and the kids came back, one of our college students is back there. He's basically turned it into his dorm room. Looks just like his dorm room. It really does. He has mm -hmm. the he has LED lights across the top of the thing. Yep. And it just it can there's some days if the wind is blowing the right way it smells pretty <laughs> bad in there. <laughs> Didn't you say it smelled like sweat the other day? Mm hmm So it smells gross. like sweat and Pop Tarts. Yeah. It so, smelled fishy. What does that mean? But really, yeah, that's not the origin. That's just how we see it today. <laughs> now we think of something fishy like Suspicious, there's something going on here, mm -hmm. I don't trust you, um, suspecting wrongdoing. Uh, it originates in the 1800s, early 1800s, and this is going to be, you're going to think, this is self-explanatory. It's from fish markets. Oh. Um, you would know that fish is fresh if it did not stink. So if the fish had a foul odor, that meant uh, the person selling a fish was being dishonest. Oh. Because only stale fish How would... How could you get away with that? Well, probably most of the time they people didn't. People that couldn't smell. Well, maybe they put the bad fish under the good fish, and they were trying to get you to buy the whole pack or something. You know what I mean? So the phrase stuck, and we use it, we use it all the time now. <laughs> so literally it was like uh, people selling fish in the fish market were trying to sell bad fish to people, and they yeah. would know by smelling it that, hey, something's fishy here. You're trying to, you're trying to give me bad fish for my <laughs> money. Okay. All right, uh, we have three more. We have three more. We're in good shape, I think. No, I don't think we are. Okay. Knock your socks off. <laughs> okay, knock your socks off. Uh, this is we think about this as like impressing it. Like I'm gonna knock your socks off. I'm gonna impress you with what I'm about to do. Like when I did Shakespeare. Now why would that impress me if for like? Why would my socks come off if I were impressed? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like I think of it as like. When something surprises you and knocks you over, like, your socks fly off or your shoes fly off. Okay, maybe in cartoons, but not yeah. in real life. Well, yeah, it's just kind of an exaggeration. Okay. Like, your socks aren't really knocked off. Okay. Um, so, what's it mean? Okay, so it was started being used a lot in the mid-19th century. The idea was it involved someone being hit so hard that it literally knocked your socks off. So, it's kind of over the years since the middle 19th century which was the 1800s, it's kind of turned into, I'm trying to impress you. But yeah. really, the first time they were using it was, like, you got hit so hard it knocked your socks off. Okay. Which you can, Sometimes I hear it used that way now, but most of the time you hear it being used as surprise or I'm going to impress you, yeah. not really to be hit. <laughs> okay. So, and that was around 1856 is the first time we really see... Um, that term to use, so socks knocked off. It was talking about a remedy of uh, an illness, and it said this remedy for chills and fever knocks the socks off that disease. So what? 1856, that's the phrase they used. strange thing to say about <laughs> yeah. that. Okay. So in other words, the disease was hit hard and destroyed All and right. defeated. So not, that's Not impressed. 
Right. That was the oldest recording of the actual phrase, knock your socks off. Okay. All right. Uh, Pretty please with sugar on top. Okay. And that's basically an exaggeration of pretty please. Like when you're a kid, you would say, pretty please, let me do this. Pretty Mm -hmm. please with sugar on top. Um, Now, the earliest that we have this recorded is 1913. And it was used uh, pretty please with sugar on top. And then in 1917, we also see it in a January issue of The Sun. Um, But they think, like, they see it a few times in the early 1900s, 1913, 1917. They think it really became popular in the 1950s um, when companies used to start sprinkling their food with sugar, like we have Hmm. now. Um, Sugars and everything. In the 50s, ready-made sugar-coated breakfast cereals became popular. And they use that phrase in their advertising. Hmm. Like, with sugar on top to make entice you to want to buy yeah. it and eat it. Okay. So, hmm. started the 1913-1917. In the 50s, advertising companies took it to sell cereal to us, okay. basically. All right. So, that's where it came from. Okay, we're at the last one. Are you ready? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Turn a blind eye. Turn a blind eye. That's basically to ignore bad situations or... Like like reality. You don't want to face reality. So I'm going to turn a blind eye to that. I'm going to act like it didn't even exist. This was used around 1800. And it was a Bra- uh, British naval hero, Admiral Horatio Nelson. <laughs> he literally had one blind eye. Oh, really? He did. So once when the British forces were signaling him to stop attacking, stop attacking a fleet of Danish ships. He couldn't see them? Okay, here's what he did. No, he ignored them. He ignored them. He wanted to fight them anyways. Even though they were outnumbered, he still wanted to fight them. So what he did was he held the telescope up to his blind eye. Oh, my goodness. So that he could, sneaky little devil. Yep, so he could truthfully say, I didn't see I didn't see that. <gasps> he said, I didn't see your signal. He didn't tell them that he put it up to his blind eye. Wow. So he ended up fighting the Danish, and he attacked, and he was victorious. So oh, he ended won? up winning. He ended up winning oh, the battle. he'd have been a fool if they wouldn't have. Right. He'd have been, well, they'd probably have all been killed if he hadn't Oh, my won. goodness. So that's pretty... That is crazy. Yeah, that's pretty clever of him. He put it. He put the telescope up. Uh, didn't see your signal. Sorry. I'm going ahead <laughs> with this. Could have totally backfired on him. Wow. Well, so. do you want the good news or the bad news? <sighs> I, yes. The good news is that we made it through. We did. 20 figures of speech. Yes. The bad news is that we're at 41 minutes. Oh, my goodness. We weren't even close we to went, 30 oh, minutes. We went over. Womp, womp. <laughs> That's okay. It was good, though. I enjoyed getting to know all of those things. You're very good at your Google Master tr- searches. Yes. Dr. Google, they call me. <laughs> I appreciate it. I learned a lot. Thank you. I hope our listeners learned a few things. I learned, like, it's kind of, I love, like, finding out where things came from. That's why you're the Google master. That's right. Because I, I, I like finding out. I just like being told. You just want somebody to tell you. I yes. don't want I to I enjoy read. the research of, Ugh. oh, like, I didn't really, usually I would try to note the websites that I was at, but I, it was like a trail. Like, I would find, Ugh. I would find this tidbit about this phrase, and it would take me over to this other website. This so, there were so like many websites that I didn't really. A nightmare for me. <laughs> it sounds fun to me. So, Ugh. I guess that's. This is why. That's why you ask the questions, and I go find the answers. That's why we tied the knot. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right. I'm glad you didn't get cold feet. <laughs> 
I'm going to turn a blind eye to this bad comedy. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, in a nutshell, I think we did a pretty great job today. And I hope that you guys... Can we end this pretty please with sugar on top? <laughs> All right. Let's do it. I think that we should probably cut this off. Party party of five and a half, over and out. We'll see you next time. <laughs> hey, this is Scott. I just wanted to offer a quick correction on the Red Baron that we mentioned earlier. He was actually a German pilot fighting against the Allies in World War I. So there you go. Just letting you know. And we'll see you next time.